Hello and welcome, Ducks fans, where and whenever you're watching or listening. This is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never-before-heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in Duck history. We've been there with you on Twitter, at Once a Duck, or my own handle, at Just Follow 61 to help process last week's 38-41 defeat at Oregon State. Sam Tidrick-Smith, my trusty co-host and friend, how are you handling this Platypus Cup loss? Um, not well, Nick. I'm struggling. At first, at first it was just laying in bed a lot. Then I started eating my feelings. Then I had to throw out my feelings because I ate too many of my feelings. Then I was back in bed. But finally, Tuesday rolled around. I put my duck's hat on again. Took a deep breath. New week is upon us. Yeah, it was real good to have that little extended holiday break there in a Friday game to uh, to let that kind of uh, decompress because uh, while uh, definitely it was hard to linger on, we're moving on and uh, we'll reflect on this game. We'll learn some things. And Sam, I'm going I'm to tell you why. It, it's not that hard a loss that you need to be so devastated about, why things are going to be positive. We're going to start that first and foremost with uh, where we like to start a lot of these episodes this season is with our life manual because we go back to that and keeps keeps just having this recurring theme of attitude that thinks perfect for this week. Sam, you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control your attitude toward what happens to you. And in that, you will be mastering change rather than allowing it to master you. I think the Ducks teams need to take this Brian Tracy quote to heart and Ducks fans as well, because first of all, you can only control what you can control. And this loss uh, came down to just quarters of an inch on fourth down. I mean, we need to remind people of that. And, and there's nothing we can do to go back and change that. There's nothing we can do to, you know, change the things that that goes and, and affects in terms of people not considering the Ducks for the playoff. All those things we don't have to worry about anymore, but we never had to worry about them. They weren't in our control. What we can do is we can look at this game and evaluate it. And uh, the first thing we can do to definitely change going in and going forward and learn from this game is uh, last week I may have jinxed us. Well, I'm not a uh, superstitious person. I, uh, I did have the uh, new headphones last week, and as I'd mentioned to you personally, uh, if we lost, well, we're done with those. Uh, we got the the new upgrades, so um, hopefully we get some new karma with this. And uh, I'm going to keep the positive attitude going, Sam. Even if you're down a little bit, I'm going to bring my energy up to bring you back up, brother. Nick, your energy's bringing me back to life. I'm reignited with all of the excitement and juice that you could ever hope for at this point. I am ready to get into this. Yes, it was a disappointing ball game in Corvallis. We were going to break that down. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a game coming up on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad to be able to have a game, you know, thankfully, uh, unfortunately for Cal at this point of the year, you know, their season has not gone at all how they expected from the very first game being canceled. I mean, you got to look at a team like that and think, uh, you know, imagine being that fan base right now. Everybody had them either predicted to go to the Pac-12 North or be in that top top placing finishing for and uh it just you know this season's really kind of decimated their hopes and plans so uh that also makes a team very hungry and desperate sometimes and these cal bears uh you know they could be licking their chops seeing oregon come down to memorial stadium and you know the oregon oregon team really can't dwell on this loss and uh, you know as our guest will uh reiterate for us later you can't let a team beat you twice you absolutely cannot. Oregon State definitely got the better of Oregon at least one time. It cannot happen again. California, they've only played three games this season. As you mentioned, the first was canceled, but they are 0-3 in those ball games. Oregon, they've got a chance to right the ship this weekend, and they can't let that go. Yeah, and, uh, another thing we can control is our own destiny here. Uh, University of Oregon right now still primed in the position to win the Pac-12 North, and, uh, you know, that's a huge thing right now, uh, and that could still be a huge thing. But you got to take it one game at a time. But before we do that and before we move on, we really got to break down some of the stuff we saw at Oregon State. And, then, you know, it really came down to uh, not only things we talked about on the show, but your top three keys of the game, Sam, it was just like we whiffed on all of them, huh? It was not ideal, Nick. Let me pull it back up really quick just to have it just to reference again because I did reference it to you just a moment ago. I, before the ball game started, about 20 minutes before things kicked off, put out that I thought 
Oregon needed to do three things in order to win this game. Establish the run, specifically Verdell. Oregon's offense, we all know, is at its best when he's doing his thing. Take care of the football. No silly turnovers. That's something that Oregon couldn't do. And number three, stop Jamar Jefferson because he is a stud. Stopping him in the run will be essential. How many of those things did Oregon do, Nick? Uh, it's going to be a I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint on your hat. Yeah, it's everywhere around here. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, there's no disputing that we definitely, especially, you know, that last one, uh, I think – we knew from very early on in the game that he was going to be a force and uh, Oregon really didn't adjust to do anything to take him away. And if anything, I'm shocked he wasn't the guy leading him in for the game winning drive. I am too. Oregon could not do anything in their power to stop Jefferson. It was unbelievable. The output he had 29 carries, 226 yards, two touchdowns with a long of 82 yards. That's really, really impressive stuff. They also gave up 15 yards on just two attempts for Lindsey, as well as 14 yards on just two attempts for Bradford, as well as giving up a touchdown to Jebbia, all on the ground, as well as the late touchdown from Nolan, the backup quarterback, who was able to sneak in there on fourth down for the game winner. Yeah, and, you know, that's a, that's a tough play because, uh, especially because, you know, I, I don't think anyone was quite sure that they would – a QB sneak with your backup is, is oh, that's perplexing to me, Sam. I only ran a couple quarterback sneaks, and uh, at Oregon, we barely ever practiced under center. We did practice it contrary to some beliefs, practiced it a little bit every day in warm-ups, but we did not do it as an offensive formation very often. So the few times we ever did have a QB sneak, I knew as an offensive lineman how to wedge block, um, but we did it on the goal line. I can't remember what game, but it was the Mazzoli year in 2009. And I was there on the goal line uh, at guard and just, oh, man, this is happening. And you kind of just get down in those scenarios. And, man, it, it's tooth and nail. Guys are getting down on all fours. They're trying to just fight for every little inch you can get. And uh, in that moment, I got driven up on by Jordan Holmes. My hand got caught in the ground, dislocated a couple fingers. I can hear him <laughs> a couple different pops. And uh, the next play, I was still out there for PAT. And Mazzoli rushes it in, and I'm, I'm just starting to realize how messed up my hand feels. And then I strike the guy across from me, PAT, and everything's right back into place. Had the, had the trainer check it out again on the sidelines, shaped it all back up. But, man, those quarterback sneaks, you just never know. And seeing Jebbia get hurt made me think even more, like, there's no way they're running it again. Um, and you can't practice those things a lot in practice. So I, the defense, you know, you're only going to get so many times you can line up and say, hey, Ball is on the quarter inch line, and you got to get it in or you got to stop them. You can only practice that live so many times. And in a year with a pandemic, that's, you know, that's not even advised. That's, that's, that's against social distancing right there. That, that entire formation should just be thrown out. We should throw out the entire game for it. But, anyways, those things are really, really hard to prepare for. And, man, I, I honestly give it to our defense. They held them right there so close, man. And I think people are going to forget that. But, you know, even looking back, you know, if we were just a little more stout in that interior line, just didn't give Oregon State that push. But, hey, you know, that's experience, that's reps, that's time. And the season, you know, that, that game right there on that one play could have gone either way. And people are going to forget that looking at the score and remembering how the Ducks kind of lost control of that game. But I think still you got to look down. The coaches trusted the team. They didn't just let Oregon State score like they could have, given the offense more time. They trusted their defensive players. And I, I hope in the future – that they learn to grow from that and they take it personally. And like Brady Breeze had mentioned, you know, a week ago, uh, just take that game and, and just, hey, remember this. Don't forget it, but don't let it beat us twice and just move on, but be better from it. Learn in those moments how important it is just every single moment to be given your all because it could come down to just that one inch, that one play. It absolutely could. Personally, watching those last plays, something I was watching every single time is I was curious which team was getting low. Oregon was doing a really good job of it the majority of the time. They just happened to get beat on one play, and it just happened to be the last one. Oregon State's offensive line were able to get underneath the Oregon defensive lineman for the most part. They were able to push, get that initial push. It's all Oregon State needed. They just needed an inch, and they got two. It was perfect for them. What I will say is that what was almost more frustrating than that is an Oregon fan because once the once Oregon punted the ball, I had the feeling it was going to happen. I, I had a singing feeling it was going to happen for the minute Oregon punted the ball. I was frustrated they got to the point where they were punting in the first place. 
I'm, I'm the kind of person that when it's late in that ball game, you want to see your team be able to pick up that first down. You can tell me, oh, we've already scored 38 points. You've already scored 38 points. That's great. Congratulations to you. I'm proud of you. You have to be able to pick up a first down when you need it. When the ball game is on the line, you need to pick up one, maybe two. You need to get about 20 yards downfield and you win this ball game. If you can't go out and do that, that gives me reason for concern. And my concerns were, were valid in seeing what the final score was. Oregon wasn't able to pull this one out. If they were able to pick up that first down, they would be, would have. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe with a more experienced offensive line or, you know, even possibly just the addition of, you know, if we still had Panay Sewell, maybe you have the belief that you can go for it there in a couple more scenarios. But I also understand where uh, we did have that faith in defense. We didn't quite have it in our offensive line. I mean, our run game was inconsistent. I mean, you know, you'd mentioned C.J. Verdell in your, in your keys to the game and, uh, not sure what happened to him, if it was an injury or, or something else, but, you know, not having him be able to pick up steam and just really be that that interior physical runner that just punishes the defense. Um, it, it really is, is a crutch to this offense when he's not out there because, um, you know, with all the options and the motions and, and the, the different RPOs we have, it's great having die in the passing game and sometimes for those outside runs. But, you know, when you do just need consistent, four, five, six yards up the middle when it might not be easy with a with an offensive line that's still learning. Verdell was, you know, the guy I thought would be, you know, perfect for just pounding and wearing him down. And unfortunately, you know, it just hasn't worked out that way. And up front, yeah, uh, a couple of things that I definitely saw were, uh, you know, not even necessarily confusion, but uh, it felt like, you know, a lack of cohesion. Guys definitely uh, not all being on the same page or seeing things the same way. And again, that's just time and reps, which this season nobody's gotten in the Pac-12. So it's unfortunate, but it's all correctable. And these guys are all still so young um, that it, it doesn't seem like uh, anything that moving forward, Oregon has to really be worried about. You know, 2020, I think it's going to be something that you probably can't get fixed this year with everything that's going on. But I really believe that we can take, you know, this loss especially, hopefully it's our last, and we can learn from it. And if we can continue to grow from there and learn from our mistakes, there's no reason the Ducks can't close out the season with, you know, no more losses. Verdell in his ballgame against Oregon State, nine carries for 36 yards. That's four yards a carry hit along the 16. Third leading rusher in the ballgame, second in terms of carries. It just wasn't a great day for him. I don't know if he did get injured. I don't know if he was nicked up or something like that. He didn't have a ton of touches in the previous game, if I'm not mistaken. It's a difficult it's a difficult situation to be in. You you want the guy to be healthy. Hopefully he's healthy. But if it's just a production issue, it's a production issue. And it's something that has to be fixed. CJ Riddell is the type of running back that has to be not dominant, but he has to be taking care of business for Sorian offense to be productive. And I think that's pretty obvious what happens when he isn't. You're not able to get a first down when you really need one. Yeah, and even beyond that, uh just whenever that you don't when you don't have that that go-to play that it feels like Oregon hasn't really established yet that can get you, you know, again, like like CJ in there getting a four-yard average, um, you know, is, again, kind of surprising why, you know, there has to be a reason you're not getting a guy like that more touches because if you just got four yards every play, you'd never have to punt. So um, there has to be something more to it there, and I hope, you know, whatever it is, he can get healthy. And, you know, we also have to remember that this offense is significantly limited. Hopefully we can get a couple more tight ends back and healthy one of these weeks, and uh, hopefully Pittman can come back and give the offense a real shot in the arm, um, which is at least what I'm expecting going into Cal, uh, hopefully, if, uh, you know, all things considered and everybody, you know, again, in this season. Who knows what could happen coming into game day, but uh, and who's going to be eligible to be out there. But I think, you know, if we can get a couple guys back, man, this team right now, it'd be the, it'd be the perfect way to rebound. And, uh, you know, they could be I – mean, I mean, they're just a couple adjustments away from really being a scary team. And I think even, you know, with the, the youth on defense and kind of some of the holes there – I still think this offense, man, when it's really humming and it can get the ball moving between the 20-yard lines, I mean, it's scary. It's fun to watch. It's scary. and It's hard to stop. But I think the only thing stopping the Ducks so far is themselves. You mentioned a couple of key factors that Oregon needs to improve upon to become better. If you were to break that down into just two or three bullet points, what are those things you think? 
Well, man, we've talked about tackling all year, but I think the more specific thing I think I see is, you know, especially it's tough in the fog. Who knows what's going on out there? You know, Corvallis is uh, – it's a tough road game, even if there are no fans. It's just a weird place to play. And we're going into another one of those, you know, that Memorial Stadium. I've I've had a couple weird games there where it just feels like, you know, that feel of that stadium is just um, – you know, for road teams, it's already hard enough. But when you get that kind of lack of familiarity that just comes with certain places, it just feels like do people play football here or is this, you know, um, that, that, that's one of those things. But again, tackling and it's not just, you know, individual tackling. I think the biggest thing is team tackling, man. Guys have to keep rushing in to finish the play when they know their teammate may already have it. But man, you could lodge the ball free. You could get on there, and it, it, it doesn't – it's not just three or four guys. I mean, I remember when Coach Azanero would yell at guys for not being near the ball when it was the nose tackle, and the and it's, a you know, a 50-yard bomb that gets stopped at the two-yard line in practice, and it's like he's still yelling at your 310 defensive tackle. You got to get down there. You got to get down there and make a play because – you know, even then, you never know what's going to happen in football. And we had a lot of guys. You didn't get on our defenses unless you had that mentality of swarming to the football, even if you were the last guy there, you know. So I think if we could really – and, you know, that, that again comes with reps in time that we haven't had. So that's the biggest one, blocking, uh, gelling. Guys got to understand when the defense changes or, or their adjustments or, or things change at a quick moment, how particularly in protections. I mean, I was a little disappointed to see Shuck have – a lot less protection this week, it felt like. And, uh, you know, that's kind of been something that got exploited in the UCLA game. So, uh, again, that's going to come with time. I, I know it's I'm going to sound like a broken record, all these things. But last one is still ball security. And this time it wasn't so much fumbles. But, man, what really kind of crushed the momentum is that that kind of hanging shuck interception, man. I just remember thinking, oh, man. And I wasn't sure necessarily if it was a product of, you know, it felt like rushed decision-making more than bad decision-making. And looking back at the design of the play, you're just kind of wondering if that was just kind of an automatic, you know, um, you know, check with me throw. Something that just was, you know, maybe they hadn't run enough times in practice because especially with the fog there, that's that's – a difficult throw, but man, it just felt so out of sync with everything they were doing. It felt like, man, we could just pound the rock right now, eat the clock up. And, you know, towards the end, it really ended up killing us. But, uh, you know, until that moment, I I felt really good about it, man. And I I did feel even though we didn't hit all the keys, we still put ourselves in a chance to win that ball game. And that's what blows my mind. That shows you how much talent Oregon has right now. Uh, you know, Devon Williams continues to step up as a fantastic receiver. We've got Johnny Johnson out there uh, capable of making plays. I mean, we really have the potential to be something here. It's just got to be more consistent on on all those keys that we keep talking about. And, yeah, it's it's not always every single play, but that consistency, it's that one play. You know, it's a, well, you know, it's that first Jamar run in the game. You know, that you can't let something like that go because it, it just it's demoralizing and the other team feeds off it. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that something that does need to be spoken of, there is some positive to take away from this ballgame. One thing that I want to mention, is there kicking stability in Eugene now? Is that possibly, potentially, maybe figured out? Because he didn't miss. He didn't miss once. I know, I know I, my expectations might not be all that high, Duck fans, but he didn't miss once. And he got him through the uprights. He got him through the things that stick up in the air. And that was impressive. Yeah, and, you know, uh, not not necessarily surprised to see them make the change from Camden. But uh, you never know with one game. But it was a road game, given that. It was definitely a difficult game with the conditions, at least the way it looked on TV. It was hard to see if there even were goalposts there. So uh, give him credit for that. But, um, yeah, there's, there's positives to take away from this game. Again, like I said, with all the mistakes and everything, we lost this team by that much, Sam. About that much to a backup quarterback. I mean, there's, you know, all it takes is that backup to have a little hesitation with that snap. And the, we're having an entirely different conversation today. Probably still having the same keys, same worries, but our tone would be a lot better saying, whoo, we got out of there. We got to move on to this Cal team that doesn't have a win yet. You know, that's one of those things where it's just like, man, people lose 
you know, perspective really quickly about how close things are to just being completely different. And in a season like this, you know, those things are going to come up even more. I guarantee you, this isn't the last time we look back at something and say, man, that little key moment just changed the game. I think that you're going to be right about that. Another thing that I generally liked from this game and something that I thought wasn't at all the problem was that I thought that number one, Devin Williams did take another big step up. Four catches, 101 yards, one touchdown. Big time play right there. Cam Moyer looked comfortable again, which is another good thing. But I thought it was actually a big day for Isaac Slade Montezio. He had 12 total tackles, nine solo. He looked strong in this volume. He was doing a lot of work. Another guy who was really impressive to me. Noah Sewell came back and had 10 total tackles after what we all thought could be a season ending injury. Yeah, we talked about it a ton last week, and, you know, that guy just showed he's built different, man. He's built different. We talked about it, but there was nothing that felt like that was going to stop him from being out there on that field. And thank goodness because we lost so many key guys at linebacker I think people are forgetting about until now. Oh, yeah. Oregon lost not only Troy Dye, but they also lost Lamar Winston Jr., who's a guy who's going to go out and give you 100% on every play, every single down, every single quarter of the football game. Oregon lost a couple of big vocal leaders there, and that's a hard thing to make up. What they're going to have to do is they're going to have to be able to find some guys who can take up that leadership role. I think that some are developing, but I think that Oregon's clearly missing a little bit of that. They're missing that juice guy. They're missing somebody who really makes everybody else around them want to play a little extra hard just to keep up. I don't think there's that guy currently right now in the Oregon defense. That being said, Diamond Lenore is having a really impressive season. He's getting targeted so few times at ball games, basically shutting down one side of the field. But as far as a loud vocal leader who's going to bring everybody up to speed with them, I think that's something Oregon's still kind of looking for. Yeah, and you know, we talked about with Brady Breeze last week, you know, just that defensive backfield, you could tell uh, just the huge losses we've sustained there. And we we knew that going into the season and from every episode, we've talked about that. But now you're really just seeing even more than just the defensive backfield, like, you know, you got to have guys out there and you, you can see Lenore doing it, you can see him trying to will other guys to, to continue to finish plays and to continue to just keep giving yourself a chance out there. And, uh, you know, I think guys are taken into heart, man, but it's just, it's one of those things where, especially now, you know, you see with, I, I would say one of the biggest things is our weakness is we're wearing down and that's just unusual because, you know, of the way coach Cristobal and coach Feld have really shaped this team. But now you're seeing in 2020 with the limited, you know, off season conditioning program and that fourth quarter program has now had to be adjusted completely. And you can see, you know, when, when guys are just looking beat, worn out, having to get a sub, when you'd rather have a guy in there that's fresh and, and able to go. So it, it's just been wild. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see Noah back because, man, yeah, all we've lost a linebacker and everything on defense. We need everyone we can get. And, uh, you know, we know Flo has the torn meniscus. Uh, you know, it's not like there's a lot that they can go and, and adjust there in terms of X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. So, you know, you got to go with what, where, what, what's got you here and you just need to make some adjustments in terms of um, getting guys to the right spot and getting them to finish. Those things, man, oh, once we just do that, I think Oregon is just going to be a team no one wants to mess with. And uh, talent-wise, you can see right now, that'll just keep them in every game. I couldn't agree with you more, Nick. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to say this. Let's put this game to bed. Let's be done with it. I want it out of my mind. I want it out of the current Oregon zeitgeist. I don't want it yeah. around anymore. Let's be rid of the 2020 Platypus Cup. Let's talk about this more next season. Yep, just like my headphones, it's gone. Not coming back. Moving on. Moving on to the California Golden Bears. That is who Oregon will be playing at 4 p.m. or is it 4.30? One of the two. Again, and again, the ESPN game. Oregon really sliding into that slot a lot, it seems, this season. Getting comfortable there. Getting comfortable on the four-letter network. Oregon, Cal, Saturday. Nick, what are you yeah. seeing? Yeah. Just the very I first, you're feeling it out. What's, what, what are you feeling? Well, you know, going down to Memorial Stadium, I can't say it enough. In my experiences there, uh, even from just being a redshirt, I remember Oregon going down and have that awful rain game, 2008. And it was just like, 
from then on, I kind of realized that just how back and forth this rivalry could be. Um, and I'd already known, I guess, I was there in 2007 for that loss. But, again, that was another one of those games where you're like, man, come away at the end of it. The Cam Colvin through the through the back of the end zone touchback. Uh, you know, that that's so close to just going and Oregon having all that momentum. And uh, even though the 2007 season, you know, turned its way around after that first initial loss um, until, you know, unfortunately, Arizona. Uh, it, it, that was one of those games that just made me go, wow, Cal, Cal and Oregon is just a different level of physicality than the rest of the Pac-10 at the time games. And it held on, you know, throughout my career. Every time we played their defenses, uh, you always prepped that week knowing how much that physicality was going to come into play. And they've produced a lot of great defensive linemen, particularly in my time there. But, man, oh, going down there playing Memorial Stadium, it's never easy. I remember that rain game. Wasn't there. Had to watch it from home. Wasn't on the travel squad. And I was redshirting, but when we went back down in that 2010 national championship season, uh, that was one of the weirdest, closest games, particularly for the Blur Oregon offense. Um, we got shut down that day, and we actually had to go to something that was not very familiar for us. We had to have you know an 11 play, eight minute field goal drive. You know, for the Chip Kelly offense, that was unfathomable to some. You know, like people there at Sports Center that night, their heads must have been exploding. You know, so <laughs> I just remember that night. It was like, what is happening, and how come this is so close? And you know, if it weren't for a couple plays like that, Cliff Harris return for a touchdown, you know, we we wouldn't have been going to the national championship that year. That's for sure. Every great team has that difficult win they're able to gut out that season for that team. That was that ball game. It was a tough one. I feel like Cal's definitely been a thorn in Oregon's side historically. It's something that's gone on. I know the next season, 2011, Cal, they also had a couple of nice treats in store for the Ducks in terms of uh, some plays that probably didn't feel as good as some other ones in your career. No, man, definitely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're referencing. When Michael um, nearly, uh, you know, was lost in the season, dislocated his elbow, and everyone got to see it. Um, I was right there in the mix on that. Uh, as I've told you before, Sam, I uh, almost blew my knee out on that play. Uh, I believe our tight end, I think it was Colt Lyra at the time, uh, had kind of let his man go into my legs. That whole play got messed up. I remember holding on to the guy I was trying to block while I got twisted up in my legs and seeing LaMichael get hit. And then I remember once I figured out my leg was okay, I looked up at the big screen and I thought, oh, what everyone else did. You heard the entire Autzen Stadium go, oh, oh. And unfortunately, unlike a previous guest, Rob Beard, he didn't have the little elbow trick thing. No, he uh, he had to wear a brace the rest of that season, man, and, and moving forward on that elbow. And I, I remember just thinking to myself, man, I felt so responsible for that because until I saw it on film, I thought, man, that's my fault. And, you know, I remember punching the ground or something when I got up and we're just standing there during the, the delay of game. And, man, and that was a Thursday or Friday night game, too. It always seems like if it's not a Saturday game, man, that's that extra layer, you know, even in Autzen Stadium, uh, you know, those that multiplies that, that Cal odd game factor. But, you know, overall, we ended up getting things back on track, uh, ran a ton of power that game. And what's, what was weird about Cal's defensive scheme uh, back then is that it felt like, and I see Oregon do this sometimes now, is it felt like the defensive tackles that are lined up kind of uh, between the guard and the tackle on the offensive side, those guys felt like they were lined up further back. And I, it was really hard to tell why, except for when we were running all those power plays and pulling our guard, that guy was able to get back behind the nose tackle, flow over the back of the play because they just ran a basic three-man front. So those guys didn't have to have containment. So essentially, he was just used using the nose tackle as a pick to follow the guard around and meet him at the other side of the power. So I remember that night just being kind of that little chess match you have in football, the run game of, okay, if he's going to do that, that means the backside tackle has to go and try and almost cut block him or at least make him stop and run him into the nose tackle. So little adjustments like that. And, and again, that, that play to LaMichael again. Again, sorry, LaMichael. I know it's not my fault. Watch it again. I still feel bad for it. Well, I'm sure that it, it wasn't your fault, Nick. Oregon and Cal historically have played some very interesting ball games. We've mentioned a bunch of them, 2007, 2010, 2011. Another one that jumps into my mind, at least as a game that was a, a little bit more 
perhaps interesting than people thought it would be was the 2000 and 2015 game, Vernon Adams' first game back in Austin after injury, coming out and really throwing up some points on California, too, in a really uh, a really fun way. I remember Braylon Addison had about four touchdowns in that ball game. He was absolutely having a great one. But Oregon and Cal, they've played some interesting games, and something strange seems to happen in almost every single game. The first time I ever saw Oregon play Cal, it was the game where Justin Herbert broke his collarbone. A weird night that led to some disappointment over the next couple of weeks, you could say. Again, went down there in 2018 to see Oregon play, and it was when Oregon was really, really looking good. It was right after, I believe, that Stanford ball game. So Oregon had was coming off a loss, was looking like they needed to show up a little bit, and they totally did. Oregon completely delivered. It was a fun, entertaining ball game. And then finally, the latest installment of the game in 2019, another one that I was lucky enough to be there for, a real struggle of a game. And I think it's a game that might look kind of similar to the game we end up seeing this coming weekend. A low-scoring ball game because Wilcox team comes to play defense. They almost always do. It's rare when they get caught. They got caught by UCLA a couple weeks ago, but that's a rarity. Even though this is an 0-3 team, it's still a team that can play some defense. It's still a team that's got some guys. And, hey, Garbers is still a capable quarterback. He's had a down year, but it doesn't mean he can't come out and have a big game. Yeah, he's one of the most experienced. And uh, even looking at, you know, the the schedule preseason, I remember saying this is a game I'm worried about quite a bit. Uh, and I think, you know, at least from – I'm hoping that this loss against Oregon State will actually get the team really refocused and I'll be a little less worried about it. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, it sounds like the team's been saying all the right things. You know, this week, Shuck has sounded like, you know, pretty pissed off, which we haven't heard from a quarterback in a while. You know, Herbert was such a sweet guy, Mariota before him. It's been a while since we heard a, an Oregon quarterback that really sounded like, hey – I'm going to take the team and we're going to fix this. And, you know, it reminds me of that, that Joey Harrington uh, sort of era of, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll get this done. And, and people kind of rallied behind that. I, I really think the Oregon ducks can do that again. And, you know, I've always respected Cal to, to team that I was very close to going to all well, kind of close to going to, but <laughs> I I've always respected Cal, not just as an opponent, but, you know, as one of the, you know, the, the PAC 10 schools, I've always thought that Oregon is, is, had a tough time against from that very first time I saw them play uh, in 2007. You mentioned Cal was up there on your list of schools back in the day, folks long ago, before there was Instagram live, people would go on TV and if they weren't high profile enough, even the radio and tell people where they would be going to school. Nick over here, he had his top three down to correct me if I'm wrong, Oregon, Oregon state and California. He ended up making the decision to go with what I'm assuming was the green and yellow hat. But for radio purposes, they probably had to describe it a little better. But please, just walk people through that process for you and why Cal was up there. Well, you got the right schools. The only correction you need, sir, is that it was internet radio. Okay, internet radio. Oh. Um, I, w I was a little ahead of the time, a little ahead of the curve, okay? But uh, Cal came down into my final three. I I'd committed pretty early in the process. I wasn't someone who let it linger close to signing day. Nah, it was uh, summer of 2007 before that 2007 season even kicked off that I'd committed. And I'd gotten offers after that were probably a little more luring. Um, you know, by the time, you know, signing day came around, I had like 30 or so offers. And the th reason my top three at the time was Oregon State, Cal. Oregon's probably kind of silly. I wanted to stay pretty close. That was kind of obvious. I wanted to at least, you know, be in you know the range of my family being able to come to games I thought that was really important to me but the big pitch that got Berkeley in there well coach Mahalchik their offensive line coach and offense coordinator at the time uh, I remember he came to my high school really impressed my high school coach came in with a big bowl ring on and I remember shaking his hand and man one of the first two or three things he said to me and I look back now and I'm like Oh, he almost had me. He says, Nick, we really like you to come down to Cal, not just play offensive line. But we think you have the athleticism. You know, we like to run a tackle screen maybe once, twice a season. We really think you could be that guy. And, you know, I hadn't really thought about that other than when I've tried to pitch it to my own high school coach, which wasn't happening. So I thought about it for a minute. I was like, man, Cal would be nice. But now that we've seen, even last year, with what ha can happen, uh, like to Panay Sewell on those, 
I know with my lack of athleticism, it was really good I picked Oregon, Sam. Well, Nick, I know I'm glad you picked Oregon. I'm sure there are plenty of Duck fans that are glad you did as well. And Cal fans. And Cal fans. <laughs> well, they are very lucky. Did you ever in your time at Oregon see them end up running that play? No, man. That No, no. Chip, I don't think Chip was having that. Honestly, if they did run it, it should have been to Jake Fisher uh, once he came in or Tyler Johnstone. One of those guys would have would have taken it to the house from – you know, from the our own one yard line. Honestly, those guys those guys could have been tight ends if they wanted to. But no, back in my day, you know, you weren't gonna throw it to me or Darian Weems or Bo Thran. I think you just wanted to keep us blocking. Did you ever see Cal run that play though? As they were as they were saying. Oh they- no, man! I don't think I. I mean, I I didn't. You know, you don't watch enough of the other offenses in the Pac-12 unless you you happen to be watching. You know, a defense, and so you're only watching plays that other teams run like yours. But even when I saw him a couple times on TV, I'm like, he lied to me, did he? I guess they have run it. If you you can YouTube it a couple times, but it's nothing compared to the the Jeff Schwartz pits against USC in 2007. I mean, that's some intricate stuff right there. <laughs> nothing like that. That in and of itself is a, its own kind of ball game. Indeed, and you know, you know, I think the the thing that. Uh, again Cal does have a lot of gadget plays it seems like and uh you know that's some I, I don't know that that Wilcox has necessarily carried on as a tradition or anything but it just always feels like Cal has those gadget plays and uh man I, I know I've seen a couple of them in my time but Oregon has a couple too and I, I'm hoping maybe you know uh coming off that loss we could see a couple of them from Oregon's side because you know while the offense in itself has already got a couple of nice bells and whistles to it man that sure would be nice, you know, even the special teams game if we if we came out down at Cal with something like that. It would be it would be excellent, I think, to see Oregon be able to open it up a little bit. One thing, at least special teams wise, that I think is looking exciting is it seems every single week as if Mikhail Wright's just a little bit closer to breaking off a full kickoff return. I know against Oregon State there were a couple that he was just a tackle or two away from being able to return to the house. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens here coming up in the next couple of weeks. But as far as gadget offense is concerned, I would love to see what Moorhead's got up his sleeve. I'm not sure if it's even worth necessarily pulling something out unless you absolutely have to right now. But it'd be definitely fun to see what he has in his back pocket in case of use needed. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like you said, I think the the return game is going to be important. I think we could just break one. But I don't know. I like to mix it up because not only, uh, you know, with we only have so many games left in the season, but if you run a trick play now, that gets on film. You you know, you have going into that Husky hate week, uh, you, you give them a little some extra they got to study. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Uh, it'd be a good time to run it. And uh, particularly if you get in any situations where you feel like things are stagnant or you need to take back control of the momentum, it's a great way to do it. Well, what kind of a player are you looking for, Nick? What do you think this Oregon offense has in as far as its playmakers and as far as uh, the guys with ability? Who could you see being involved in a trick play? What could you see it being? Well, we know Die has a, a ton of tricks up his sleeve. They can use him a bunch of different ways. We have a lot of different versatile players. But, you know, uh, we've heard a lot this season, uh, particularly about uh, the, the depth we have with a, a reliable backup quarterback. So maybe let's get, let's get him in there for a couple two-quarterback plays. I used to love that kind of stuff. And even if you don't necessarily get him the ball, the defense instantly is going to recognize that that's not a typical skill receiver and you know they're going to make an adjustment so you could play with the defense a little bit that way so maybe some two quarterback stuff who knows if it's even there I just love to speculate this kind of stuff it is so much fun to be able to do it and I think that that's a pretty decent segue into a guy who's had a couple of those kind of tricky plays up his sleeve both in special teams and as far as gadget plays are concerned yeah, I mean, I even remember a highlight he had down in Memorial Stadium, uh, a 25-yard rushing yard, uh, rushing touchdown as a receiver. And you know when you see that kind of stuff uh, and, you know, the big plays he made in the kicking game, uh, you know, a guy that's just iconic to a lot of Duck fans, uh, we're, we're really glad to have him. Keenan, how are you, everyone? Next up on Once a Duck, we have one of the most dependable receivers in Duck history, a player who's not just an electrifying weapon on Oregon's offenses, but a dynamite kick returner, Keenan Howery. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, glad to be on here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Keenan, we started episode one of this podcast with Kenny Whedon as a guest to talk about the pick. 
I know you've asked, been asked about it a bunch of times, but it wouldn't be once a duck if we didn't ask you about the point return you had against Oregon State in 2001 that helped seal the game and sent the Ducks to the 2002 Fiesta Bowl. Uh, what is it like to have made such a historic play in such a heated rivalry? Oh, that's awesome, man. It's, you know, anytime you have an opportunity to make such a big impact and be able to submit, you know, not only mine, but the team's legacy for, for Oregon history is, is always big. You know, there was so much riding on that game in terms of the possibility for us to play for a national championship and to, you know, possibly pay, you know, for a Pac-10 championship at the time. So it's huge to be able to make that kind of a play and, Luckily, we were able to win the game, even though it was kind of early in the fourth quarter when it happened. And, you know, a lot of people made plays and, you know, I, I happen to be one of them. And it's just as good as it gets. In that 2001 season down at Memorial Stadium, Keenan, you had somewhat of a quiet day receiving only 22 yards, three catches, but you had a huge 25-yard rushing touchdown. It came at a monumental moment in the ball game. You went into Cal ranked number five in the country at that time. What was it like to be in the national spotlight the way that your team was? And what was it like to go week in, week out, knowing that you were going to get the best shot every single team had to give? Yeah, I mean, we that was something that we kind of built upon when I first got there. You know, my freshman year in 1999, you know, it seemed like it was so long ago. But, you know, it was that feeling that, you know, it was we're building towards something. We're building towards being a perennial Pac-10 contender and, you know, being able to play for that. And the funny thing is, like, I look back at the sophomore year and I kind of forget that before we lost to Oregon state that year, we were ranked, I think fifth at the time. So it just goes to show that how much you kind of get caught up in all the stuff, how much you kind of forget and kind of lose track. And then you fast forward a year and, you know, we're ranked within the top 10, I think for most, for most of the season. And it was huge being able to go out there and, you know, kind of hold the flag for the conference and being able to go out there and say, Hey, this is the best, that you guys are going to face, you know, all year long and we're up to the test and, you know, it, it, we we're able to work out in our favor every, every week, but one. Another highlight that you used to play every time I was in the Casanova center as a recruit was that holiday bowl touchdown pass <laughs> to Joey Harrington. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like playing with Joey and what he means, the legacy of the program. And when Joey was drafted in 2002, was it really hard to experience that sort of unexpected letdown year, even though you guys were loaded? Yeah, I mean, playing with Joey was awesome. You know, it, the funny thing is, like, you know, I played with Joey for three years, and, you know, he didn't start off as a starter my freshman year. You know, it was A.J. Feely. And due to an injury, you know, Joey comes in there against, you know, in a relief duty against Arizona State, you know, and, and against Arizona in back-to-back -back weeks. And, you know, the writing was kind of starting to, you know, get on the wall that, hey, man, this might be the guy moving forward as he's, you know, giving us the proverbial best chance to win every week. And, you know, then we, he gets the start against Washington State and then just everything kind of falls into place. You know, he was fiery. He was a lot of passion, you know, and a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. Got him into trouble sometimes. But I think we all kind of knew that, hey, this is Joey. This is what we have to expect. He's our leader. You know, we're going to kind of roll, fo roll forward with him. And I think everybody thought that, you know, he's going to be the best guy we have. And then in terms of, you know, the fall off from, you know, 01 to 02 when, when he leaves, I mean, that was a big part of, me really coming back for my senior year was knowing we did have a loaded team coming back and yeah we lost some big names in terms of you know Joey you know Maurice uh, Justin Peel uh, you know Rashad Bowman Steve Smith but we had a especially on offense we had everybody else coming back and defensively we had you know two, both linebackers Mitchell Moretti coming back and you know we had Keith Lewis and Rasuli Webster coming back in the secondary and I was expecting like, oh, yeah, this is we're going to pick up, you know, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is, you know, we're going to we're going to roll in there and we're going to, you know, be out there and try to make plays and, you know, hopefully get to a chance to play for that national championship that we didn't get to the year before. You know, unfortunately, you know, it didn't didn't quite go as well as we thought it would be. You know, it was a lot of a lot of other factors that kind of went into that. And, you know, it's that it kind of shows you how how much, you know, one guy who is pretty much the heart and soul of your team can can mean to you. And I think you know, as Oregon, we've kind of been kind of unlucky in following up with great quarterbacks. You know, you go from, from Joey, you know, and then it takes a few years to get to Dennis, you know, and then it takes a few years and you get, you know, you get a good year and a half run with Masoli, but then, you know, you get Darren Thomas. And then luckily that was kind of the, the role we went on, you know, going from Masoli to Darren to Mariota. But then it's like, you know, then there's a little bit of a fall off and then we couldn't find it again until Herbert. So, you know, it's just some of the 
just the expectations that come with, you know, being a high caliber team, a team that you expect to be playing for a championship every year, you know, you expect to be at the top and sometimes, you know, missing the key guys as a quarterback is, is a big loss. On this show, we spend a lot of time talking about not just the recruiting experience of our guests, but comparing it to the different level of recruiting we see at Oregon today. I know in your experience, it came down to Oregon, Washington State because of the wide open offenses and a chance to compete. But what was really the deciding factor for you? And do you think if you were a recruit to today, um, the Cali flock, uh, everything Oregon's <laughs> doing would still appeal to you and draw you to Oregon just as much as uh, being recruited by Coach Bilotti and Coach Oz back in the day? Oh, I mean, I always joke with people and always say, like, I, I don't know if Oregon would recruit me today. You know, it's kind of a different, you know, a different uh, program than it was, you know, back in the late 90s. But, you know, it was it was also, you know, for me, it was between, you know, Oregon State as well, which was, you know, always kind of rubs people the wrong way. But, you know, had uh, Riley not taken the San Diego Charger job, I, I, I can't honestly say what I would have done because it was really tight between the three schools. But, you know, you look at how everything is going today and how well they're able to recruit, not just – California but in terms of nationally I mean you know it was it was a weird thing when I was playing to have a guy from outside of the west coast I mean we had Maurice Morris who was from South Carolina but he actually went to JC in Fresno so there was a little still a little bit of a west coast connection there and you know we just it's just one of those things where now you know Cristobal really you know kind of got the ball rolling with our national recruiting you know in terms of being able and especially where you really need it the most and able to compete with the you know in the trenches with the line o-line and d-line so, you know, it, it's good to see that they're, you know, able to kind of keep that up and keep the tradition going of, you know, not just getting the big name guys, but also you see kind of what's always built Oregon has always been the, the unheralded guys, you know, the lower ranked guys who always come in, step up and, and show big potential and able to have good careers while they're here. And in bringing it back to 2020, what can these young ducks learn from the loss to the Beavers that they just sustained this past weekend, not only from the standpoint of, a team who's just experiencing their first loss of the season, but what can they really do to learn from the mistakes they made and grow upon what just happened to them? Yeah, I think the, I know the one thing that, you know, Bilotti, when he was head coach was, would always kind of preach whenever we lost. And it was, don't let the, don't let this loss, don't let them beat you twice. You know, so don't let Oregon state beat you twice. Don't, don't have such of a hangover from this loss that it causes you to come out against Cal and, you know, let another one slip. You know, and I think that was one of the big things in my in my time that, you know, we never really had back to back losses. You know, we were able to kind of come out and play really well. I mean, we had the, you know, my sophomore year, we had the, the first loss against Wisconsin. And then, you know, we played great all the way up until you know last game of the season against Oregon State. And then, you know, the next year against in 2001, you know, only had the one loss against Stanford. And then even as big of a letdown as that was in terms of being undefeated, I think we were seven and oh and feeling like you know, our season was lost, still knowing that you still have things to play for in terms of like this year, you still have a Pac-12 championship that you're, you know, possibly can can play for. And, you know, it's still, you know, a few weeks left in the season and a lot of things can happen. You know, a lot of a lot of teams can lose. A lot of teams could, you know, with how things are going right now, could get COVID. You don't know who's going to play games, who's not, who might have to play a game missing people. And which could, you know, count for a loss. So there's still a lot, you know, a lot to, to play for. I know back thinking back to 01, when we lost to Stanford, I mean, we we didn't think that we'd have a shot at the national championship. And lo and behold, we go into, you know, championship weekend and every scenario that we needed to have happen to have get us into the game happened. You know, Texas lost, LSU beat Tennessee, and then Tennessee beat Florida or Florida beat Tennessee in the conference championship. Colorado then, you know, beats Nebraska and it beats Texas. And we're just sitting there like, holy crap, we have a shot, you know, and if it wasn't for the, you know, the great computers, we, we probably would have, but, you know, you kind of got to keep that in mind in terms of, Hey, you know, keep kind of fighting on and keep rolling along. You know, it's a condensed season. You don't have many opportunities. So, you know, Hey, don't let these last few games kind of, you know, sour the rest. With everything that's gone on in 2020, it's been such an unexpected season. And it seems like every time the Ducks have a road trip down to the Bay Area, something unexpected happens in the past couple matchups. And going down to Memorial Stadium this time, it feels like it's going to be no different. Uh, you know, what do you see coming up this weekend? And what can the Ducks do to rebound from that Oregon State loss? Yeah, I mean, it's just just stay the course. I mean, just kind of keep doing the things that you guys have been successful doing in terms of, you know, running the football effectively and, getting the ball out to your playmakers. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that they can do in terms of that can help 
you know, especially a young, inexperienced quarterback, being able to get the ball out of his hands quick, get him, you know, get him some smoke screens, some slip screens, some screens to the backs, something short. And then, you know, it, you know, then being able to run the ball effectively, you know, does, you know, loosen up that defense because you know that Will Cox is going to have a good game plan defensively for him. So being able to rely on the, the short passing game and some of the, the run game should be able to help them out toward. And now they can allow those receivers to, you know, get the one-on-one coverage, make big plays and, you know, throw some, some 50-50 balls and see if you can come up with them. Keenan, a couple more questions before we let you go. Yeah. I want to keep you all night. One thing that I've been really curious about, it's not something that Nick or I really discussed beforehand, but it's something that I've been wondering. Is there somebody that you watch in this current Oregon team that you can relate to, whether it's as far as their role in the team or the type of game they play? Or are you just somebody you like watching on out on the field for Oregon? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like Die. You know, he does give you a, you know, a, a good, you know, switch up in the backfield and with Ferdell and, you know, I, I like the receivers they have. You know, they're 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 really you know dynamic and can make plays. And I mean, all of them are really good route runners, especially Johnson. I mean, he's the one that kind of sticks out to me. He's having you know kind of the the more well-rounded game of all the receivers. You know, and being able to go out there and you know run short routes, be in the slot, you know, be on the outside. You know, he's he's one that I always kind of watch. And you know, they haven't been able to give him the ball last couple of games in terms of you know with his you know big playability being able to go out there and run routes and get open and make catches but you know it's all in due time you know he's just gonna have to try to do more things that he can to kind of you know get involved you know blocking you know doing some different things but you know eventually you know I think he's gonna probably have a big game this week I think they know that they've kind of need to get him more involved in the offense and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of comes in and has a big one Keenan, last but not least, we get a lot of requests from our fans, and we've got a ton for you, but you are the first guest that actually went on Twitter, responded, and said, hey, let's do this. On the show, we love the optimism. <laughs> yeah. We want to know what uh, you know makes you still so vocal about Oregon and your time in Eugene, and and who else would you like to see on Once a Duck uh, after you? Who are you calling out? Oh, man, you know, just – you know, the thing is going to Oregon, it's, it's always – you know, more than just, you know, it's just more than just a school, you know, it's a place that, you know, you, you, you know, you spend four, four plus years of your life, you know, you have lifelong friends, you got a, you know, great education from, and, you know, I've always, you know, been, you know, supporting Ducks through and through, even before I went to school there, because I had a teammate of mine, Tony Hartley, who we went to the same high school together. So I just, because, you know, even though he was three years older than I was, I would watch Oregon, you know, because of him. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's just being able to support the Ducks in any way you can, whether it's, you know, coming on podcasts or just talking about old times and good times. It always, you know, kind of gets me fired up and always helps me kind of relive some of the past moments. So it's always good. And, you know, the probably who I'd like to see come on. Uh, probably, I'll, I'll give you two in terms of uh, some some older and some newer. So and I'll, I'll keep it within the position. Let's let's go. I think it'd be cool to kind of get Pat Johnson on there from, from one of the, some of the old guys. Cause you know, he was, you know, he's one of those guys who, when I first got to Oregon, you know, he was, the, you know, he was, he still kind of hung around, even though he was gone a year or two, he would be back and forth. And, you know, he always had a lot of great, you know, things to say. And he was always coming back, giving us great tips and always talk about, you know, his time, he won a super bowl and playing with those guys like Ray Lewis. We so had a lot of good insight and, and, and that. And then from a more recent guy, I think somebody you already, you already kind of mentioned in terms of you know, some of the fans kind of, kind of, one to hear from is also Jeff Mayo. I mean, you hear from here, a guy who had, you know, kind of a unlikely career in terms of Oregon being, you know, came in recruited to play defense. And then because all the injuries his freshman year ends up playing receiver. And then now, you know, you look at his career, he goes down as one of the, one of the best ever, you know, and then he's able to go on and, you know, have a pretty, you know, decent career playing on some teams in the NFL. I mean, I think those two guys would be, would be awesome guests to kind of come on and kind of share their wisdom and kind of give, a lot of the fans out there, you know, something that they can kind of relate to. Well, awesome. We we thank you for giving us the time. And uh, yeah, as al- always, you know, uh, especially with you, you know, uh, Duck fans always looking and know once a Duck, you're always a Duck. Thank you, my man. Uh, and thank you. I appreciate the time, guys. Nick, that was another great interview. I love being able to hear it from a guy from that era. He was able to play with Joey Harrington, was able to play in that Fiesta Bowl, be able to play in some of those big ball games that – really turned the tides of this Oregon program back in the early 2000s. 
Well, yeah, and I couldn't think of a better guest to kind of, you know, lift our spirits as Duck fans. I mean, that's what what an iconic Duck, and it's so great to see his enthusiasm uh, despite our technical difficulties. I mean, he he was so welcome to, you know, come on, tell us everything, uh, and you, we definitely want to have him back because, man, uh, what a fantastic interview. And, you know, Duck fans right now needed to pick me up, and thankfully we, we've got a few uh, coming even today with uh, a men's and basketball men's and women's basketball game happening today. Sam, I think uh, as we release this podcast, I think we're, we're going to probably be having a couple people listen to us while they watch the, the women or men's teams play Seton Hall in Colorado. Hopefully they do. I'm excited for both of these ball games. The women playing against a Pac-12 team, whether or not it's a Pac-12 matchup, that's a different conversation, but it is a Pac-12 team for sure. They're playing Colorado. That's going to be a really exciting one to see. Also, Oregon, they played on Wednesday. We record before then. We don't know what happens, but we do know that they play again tonight against Seton Hall. The men's team and the women's team, both going to be a bunch of fun to watch, both nationally ranked. I'm excited for both of their seasons for sure. Yeah, definitely. And as you can see here, uh, I'm already excited enough to be wearing the new 21 gear. Um, and we'll be covering them. Uh, you know, we won't be week to week as uh, we have been for the football season. But we're definitely going to have some basketball episodes coming to you. And uh, you guys, you know, we have some really fantastic guest lineup that aren't football you know once we get out of this football season it's gonna it's gonna come at you quick so I'm excited for it uh watching the team you know in their first game the women's team uh break a hundred you know even though it was against Seattle U I watched the whole thing and you know it's just mind-blowing from even when I was at Oregon to see five five stars out on the floor at the same time like that's just unfathomable to me like uh you know I, I can't even look back uh, at the days when we were in Matt Court, you know, and, and think that that was ever a possibility because you know, that's not only unheard of just for Oregon, but unless you're UConn, that really doesn't happen very often, you know, or Tennessee, you know, a decade ago. So it, it just blows my mind. And I'm excited to see not only where that program is headed this season, but this men's team, uh, you know, with the unpredictability of this season already, who knows who's going to step up with, you know, the big shoes to fill with Peyton Pritchard as he goes to the Boston Celtics. Richard is out, but Oregon still has quite a bit of returning talent. Guys like Will Richardson, Chris Duarte, and Afali Dante all coming back, as well as a handful of transfers that I think are really going to be beneficial for this Oregon basketball team. Yep, and hey, we'll get more to it this season. But for now, we've got to turn our attention to Cal. Sam, I think, you know, uh, keys of the game are going to be the same. We don't have to say it any more times. Blocking, tackling, taking care of the football, those things write themselves at this point. But what doesn't write itself is your prediction. Who you got? I've got Oregon. I think Oregon wins this ballgame. I don't think Cal is a very good football team this year. I think that they have some good bones, but I just don't think that there's talent there right this year. I think they lost a lot from last year. Not a lot of time to prepare, yada, yada, yada. You get the point. I think Oregon gets this win. I think that it is a tough ball game. I do think that Cal has a defense that can show up and play on any day, as well as a quarterback who can do the same. And I think that Oregon is going to allow some stuff. I think they're going to clean up a lot of the problems, but I still think Christopher Brown Jr. goes over 100 yards for the ball game and a touchdown. I think that California is able to put up a few points, but not too many. Oregon is able to get the victory 24-17. to 17. Hmm. I like it. I think I'm going to go a little more higher scoring as I have, you know, this season, I felt pretty consistent with the Oregon offense. I think they're going to actually probably outperform, uh, you know, their, their recent weeks. I think they're going to have 49 points on offense. And I honestly think Cal's only going to have 31 points. So I've got it 49, 31. I'm also predicting my extra bonus prediction is uh, quarter quarterback. Uh, Oregon will knock its first, quarterback out uh, besides the last offensive play of the game or pregame due to COVID. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it already. I think Oregon's going to get a ton of pressure. I think they're going to try and get Garbers out of the game. So I think they're going to lay the wood to him. I think this team's going to look pretty mad. And again, 49-31. An angry, angry, angry Oregon Ducks team is the team that I want to see on Saturday. I want to see this team come out aggressive I don't want them to be happy with what's gone on this season. I want them to turn it around. This is a great point to California, Washington. If you take care of business, you're in the Pac-12 championship game. Oh, nowhere to go but up from here. Nowhere to go from but up. This Oregon team's got to do it. 
Yeah, and you can't let that loss beat you twice. And I know it's hard as fans to move on, but you got to know that this team already this week has been putting in the work, sharpening the spear, and they're ready to go out and take the test and hopefully go out and hunt the bear, man. I'm excited to see this game and see how this team responds and, uh, you know, see if they really are as pissed off as they've sounded in meetings all week because, uh, uh, you know, everything they've said to the media is, is sounded like this team really is ready to learn from this loss and move on, but there's only one way to do it. That's on the field. Nick? It's bear season, and the ducks are on the hunt. Absolutely. And as always, you can find us, all our great episodes and previous episodes, at Once a Duck. You can follow us on all your platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, make sure you're following us, subscribed on YouTube uh, or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get a podcast. We appreciate it every time you like, subscribe, and share. And uh, mention us in the comments, you know, as we want to keep this show interactive. We know everybody was – pretty quiet and had a, had a lot of their own things they wanted to deal with instead of talking about that loss. But Hey, get in that comment section, let us know what's up and and you'll hear from us. We'll talk about it in the show. We gotta, we gotta keep our fans involved and uh, can't let you guys get down. Even though uh, we have a one bad week because uh, once a duck, always a duck, baby, we'll pick it back up.